Welcome to Diverse, a Society of Women Engineers podcast. SWE gives women engineers a unique place and voice within the engineering community. On Diverse, we highlight the incredible thought leaders and personalities in our community and discover who they are at home, at work, and in between. You can find all of our podcast episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and iHeartRadio. Hello, I'm your host, Sam East, and welcome to Diverse, a SWE podcast. Please remember to subscribe and follow us on Instagram at SWE Diverse Podcast. I'm joined today by Kristen Bridgman, a director of engineering for Cummins Inc., where she's worked for the past 12 years. She coaches a team that supports engineering effectiveness projects under the chief technical officer. Kristen has also led efforts to support teams and coaches throughout the Cummins engineering program, worked as a part of engineering recruiting, led the Cummins Women in Technology conferences, and is now co-leading global development projects for Cummins Inclusion Projects. In her spare time, Kristen enjoys volunteering at her church, traveling, watching ballet, and spending time with her family. Thank you for joining us today, Kristen. It's great to be here. Let's go back right to the beginning. This is always how we like to start these conversations. What first drew you to the world of engineering and STEM? Well, I was one of those folks in high school that didn't really know exactly what I wanted to do. It wasn't super obvious to me, but I had a chemistry teacher and she was all about women in science. And so she approached me and told me that she thought that I should do something. Actually, she told me very boldly that I should be a chemical engineer. Oh. I didn't really know what it was. So she took me to visit several locations where they were doing chemical engineering in the Bay Area where I lived. And she did, hadn't sold me totally. And so she decided to take another tact. And her husband was actually the biology teacher. And they double teamed me and said, well, what about bioengineering? And so they really pushed this idea of that I would be good in bioengineering. And when I went to look at universities, I didn't find at that time, so I'm pretty old now, I'm 60 years old. I did not find a bunch of bioengineering opportunities. But what I found was a program at Stanford University where you could do what was called a co-terminal. And that meant you got a degree in biology at the same time as you got a master's in chemical engineering. Wow. And so that was what kind of solidified for me through that whole quest that involved a lot of her energy and then me jumping on board because I did like science and math. I wasn't going to say I didn't, but I hadn't necessarily thought of that as a potential career. So that's kind of what pushed me in that direction. And then as I got into it, I found out I was really, you know, I really enjoyed both subjects and the work that I did interning in between semesters as well. Do you remember what that teacher's name was? Mrs. Johnson. I don't remember her first name. I can see her face to this day. <laughs> Mr. Johnson was the biology teacher and Mrs. Johnson was the chemistry teacher. 
Oh, that's incredible though, because can you remember what it was for them that might've sparked, you know, that inspiration that they could see potential in you for this field? I feel like for Mrs. Johnson, it was that she liked to identify women at that time who had Mm. the aptitude for the sciences, because at the time when I went into that program at Stanford, I was one in 10 in the chemical engineering program. And so she was just really trying to encourage that. That's incredible. I mean, that is really the basis of what we're doing here on this podcast, right? Like we're elevating and promoting and talking to women in this field. So for her, those many years ago to see that in you is, is really inspiring. Yes. I look back on that fondly (laughs) and I've tried to do some of that for other students when they ask me about chemical engineering or what I've done with my career. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, even from the get-go, we could see that your career in engineering, maybe not the most common route here. Can you share, you know, what made your journey so unique? So I think you're referring to the fact that I took a little career break in the middle of my engineering career and I kind of remade myself. So to take a step back after Stanford, I was looking for bioengineering roles and I had decided that I would really love to work for one of these smaller firms. Like at the time, it was really small. I think it's pretty big now. Genentech was where I had interned several times. But they didn't really know what to do with a chemical engineer at that point. Mostly they were being run by PhD biologists. They were in the research phase. They didn't have a bunch of products yet. And so somebody recommended to me that I go to a bigger company and do some work there first so I could kind of see the lay of the land on how a big company worked before I went into a smaller company. And so I went to Procter & Gamble in Cincinnati with the objective of working there for two years and then going back to the Bay Area and working in biotech. And be careful what your plans are because there's always a twist or a turn. Uh-huh. So I met my husband in that two-year period. He was from North Carolina. I was from California. We were sort of centered in the Midwest with a little tension between the, you know, the distance was about the same, a couple of plane rides to get either place. And so I stayed at Procter & Gamble, but then When I had my first child, in those days, a lot of the companies did not have this whole work-life balance thing worked out. And so I was working very long hours when I was at Procter & Gamble. I was already an engineering manager, and I just could not see how I was going to fit this beautiful new child into that pace. We talked a little bit about part-time, which seemed like a 40-hour week. and so. I stopped working. I told them I wanted to take a leave of absence for a year. And again, be careful what your plans are because one year turned to two, turned to three. And pretty soon I had three kids and I'd taken an almost 20 year career break from engineering. Not to say that I didn't do other things in that time frame, but I had taken this big break. And then when I did come back to engineering, I had to kind of find a way back in, if you will. Mm-hmm. And I came into an electrical engineering organization. They needed project management. And thank goodness somebody saw my resume and thought, oh, she would be good at that. And so I basically had to quickly learn all the things I needed to know to work in the electrical engineering space. 
And so that's why I think you're referring to my journey as being somewhat atypical, because now, even though I do have a master's in chemical engineering, I worked for the first really nine years at Cummins in electrical engineering. So I imagine in those 20 years, there had to have been some changes in the way the job was done, the dynamics in the industry. What did you notice from that break that you took? Well, the timing was perfect because it was the whole computer revolution, really. Ah. When I left, we had the big towers that sat under the desk and you could type like these single line email or single line messages to each other. And then when I came back, it was, you know, everything, right? Luckily, I was in a household and my husband is a crazy Mac user. He loves Macintoshes and he always had computers. He always had programs. I was always using them for other things. So I wasn't out of that completely. But even the way you do work, the fact that everyone at a company now has a laptop, like that's different. And I know the first year, maybe, maybe it only took me six months. But, you know, I was used to going into a meeting with a notebook and you write everything down and Mm -hmm. then you go back to your desk and you might decide you have to do these things. And it was very manual. And it took me a while to transition from needing to take notes in meetings to having my laptop be okay. And I could just make a note on the computer. I didn't really trust it. I had to kind of go from one step to the other Mm -hmm. uh, because that's not how I had worked before. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it doesn't take long. You know, engineers learn to learn. And I always tell the folks in my return to work program, as soon as you can trust yourself that you know how to learn as well as the next guy you can learn anything that they're doing here. So it didn't take that long to kind of start to feel much more comfortable. And it also just takes being able to turn to the young engineer who probably was born when you were married, just the day you were married or something and say, hey, how do you do this? And they willingly show you how. I thank you for sharing that story. I think it's going to land with a lot of particularly women in the industry because that's often uh, almost, it's kind of, positioned as an almost crossroads where you have to choose between your personal life, maybe building a family and then going after your career. But that story that you told about how, you know, you had an atypical path, but you still came back in the end and you were able to balance and have it all, it seems like. I feel really lucky too, because yeah, I'd made some choices along the way. And then I feel like in the last 12 years, I've really been able to experience the career part of it. And so don't have the regrets that some people might have if they say, oh, I stayed home with my kids and therefore I didn't get to do all these things. I feel like I had both. So, yeah, that's I think that's going to be really encouraging and motivational for a lot of women in particular who are listening to this. During the years that you were out of the engineering workforce, 20 years, you said, you know, you weren't completely out of it, though. You still you know, dipped your toe in a lot of different arenas there, including volunteer positions. So can you share with us what those were and how they impacted the way that you saw and you interacted with the community? Yeah, it started out slow. You know, your kids are in school. They're always looking for volunteers. I think I started out running some computer labs because a lot of the parents weren't comfortable with that. And so then you get a reputation in the school and you end up running everybody's computer lab. I'm kind of wired 
to be in charge, <laughs> sadly. So I would see that maybe something wasn't being done the way I would want it to be done. And I would jump in and kind of project manage it. So I did some pioneer days. They have these wonderful programs they do over at the elementary school that my kids participated in and medieval days, Greek Olympics, all those kinds of things. And then somewhere along the way, my daughter was got very interested in classical ballet. And there's a nonprofit dance studio in town. And the woman who was running it was really an artistic director, but she was trying mm -hmm. to run the whole thing. She didn't really have the business piece of it, right? She didn't even know how to type, right? So I started getting involved by, hey, you want me to type that? Oh, you're working on what? A grant? You know, so I started getting involved that way and quickly became the co-director, really the executive director side. And she was the artistic side, mainly personal reasons. I mean, I, it was in town. I did not want them to go under. My daughter loved it. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to have to drive her more than I was already, you know, getting her to dance class five miles away, but I would, didn't want to have to go to some other town to do that. Mm -hmm. And so just kind of got sucked into the dance world, which I found that I loved. I don't have a dancing bone in my body. I'm not that coordinated. I was much more of a basketball player type. And so it was really became a labor of love. Lots of work there, worked there for 11 years, managed, you know, organized all kinds of things. I used to say at the beginning when I came back to Cummins, if you can organize a Nutcracker Ballet with two over 200 children <laughs> and their parents involved, you can do anything. <laughs> yes. And so, so, yeah. So I feel like it gave me a lot of confidence because, yeah, I had to come back up to speed in the engineering side. But in terms of project management and soft skills, I didn't have any problem. Right. I'd been doing that all along, trying to find a better way to get things done for that business. Mm -hmm. I'd been in deep in my elbows and spreadsheets and budgets and grant writing, which, oh my goodness, if you can grant write, you can do almost anything too. <laughs> so that really all kind of led to me having that confidence to be able to come back and not feel totally out of water. How did you use your knowledge as an engineer in those volunteer settings? Because you said, you know, you don't have a dancing bone in your body, but you're an engineer. And I imagine that those skills must have been transferable in that sense in these volunteer positions you were in. Yeah. I mean, because the computer lab is obvious, right? But yeah. just that scope schedule resources kind of thing that you really get hammered home when you're trying to do engineering project management always helps just trying to really be able to come up with what is the critical path here and how do we need to make this happen, even if it's pioneer days. But also I think like for the dance studio, I became, it just kind of natural that I ended up helping with props, helping with scene changes, working backstage, like all of that stuff that's in the artistic world is actually quite mechanical. It's quite we used to laugh like I was the one who always knew how to tape down the cords properly so nobody would kill themselves. Just kind of being able to do the FMEA in your head to say what's going to go wrong here. It's not an approach that an artist normally takes. And so that's what I felt like I could bring to the experience and help them with. Well, once an engineer, always an engineer, right? So it doesn't matter if you're in that conventional engineering space, you're going to apply what you know. Absolutely. Yep. 
So whether you are volunteering and clearly that's something that you do quite a bit, or you're at your position at Cummins, you mentioned there, you love to be a leader. It comes naturally to you. So what makes working with teams something that's so fulfilling for you? For me, the team aspect just it's freeing to work with a team and try to maximize the value of the team as group a group of people working together. It's so much better than working by yourself. We all have special strengths and we all have flat sides. That's just every human on the planet. And trying to get people to understand when I left engineering, I feel like the business knowledge of the day was work on your weaknesses. Everybody needs to have them identified and you need to work on them. And when I came back, it was much more into the space of acknowledge that everybody has these things that they're not as good at and these strengths that they are really good at and lean into your strengths. And that's when I got that message, I that just made all the difference for me. And so I love putting together a team and then making the team work with all the strengths. And to me, it's so gratifying. I would rather see a team succeed than see me personally succeed. To me, it's, it makes it so much more fulfilling to see people rise to a challenge, come up with new ways of doing things. And then also it takes the pressure off any one person to be doing it all. So I just, I really love the teamwork and Cummins. You can't build a diesel engine or any sort of a power unit you cannot by yourself. It is a team sport, no matter how you look at it, it's way too complicated. And so it's super, it's a great company to have that thing that you like because there are plenty of teams to be a part of. Mm -hmm. You know, I can imagine there must be people listening to this who might have a similar story to yours where they've been out of the engineering workforce for any period of time. And now they have that inkling, that urge to come back. What words of advice or some guidance would you pass on to them? So the first thing I would say is that you can absolutely do this. If somebody like me, who's been at, who was out 20 years can do it, you can do it. I have since then worked on the Cummins uh, return to work program because we formalized that with SWE and we worked with iRelaunch and SWE in one of the initial groups of companies to try and create our own return to work program. And I've been involved with that since the beginning. We call it Repower for Cummins, catchy little name. And I've since worked with people who have been out even longer than I had and who have been very successful. And so you're not, you don't lose that. That's not something that goes away. It's trite to say it's like riding a bike. It's maybe not like riding a bike, but it will just take a little bit of time and you will start to be able to see that you can do it. And so you have to just have that faith that you know how to learn and you're going to be able to do it. And the other piece of it is you come back to the job with, you don't sit there in a vacuum the whole time you're out of engineering work. You're mm -hmm. learning stuff with everything you do, like all the medieval days or whatever. You're learning things that can be applied to the soft skills side. And you come in way ahead in that area. Mm -hmm. And so just that idea of people interactions and all kinds of things that a new college student out of just getting their degree is going to have to learn on the job. 
well, that part of you is already pretty refined. And mm-hmm. so now you're just having to remember and relaunch your brain into some of this technical space. And I think everyone is capable of doing it if they were capable of doing it the first time. So my advice would be just go for it. And I would also say there are lots of programs like our Repower program across the industry now. Um, And I would look for those programs because one of the things that we've done with that is to try to make an easier pathway back in and try to support the candidates with those cheerleaders like myself who remind you that you can do it and that help you along the way to kind of navigate the re-entry. And iRelaunch is a great resource for that. I think they have a they have a partnership with SWE and they have a whole set of things that materials and things that you can use to help yourself, you know, refresh in certain skills and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. You've provided so many great insights for us today, but is there anything that you'd like to add, something we may have missed? I don't think so, but I just want to compliment SWE on just having these kind of conversations and the work that they've done in this space for women. Mm. Because one of the things that I see is that companies, like they're starting to realize, especially in this landscape of difficulty getting employees, right? That the more different pathways they have, part-time, full-time, temporary part-time, leaves of absence, and or re-entry programs, the more people's situations they're going to be able to accommodate Mm -hmm. and it will benefit everyone, right? Mm -hmm. It's just going to help everyone to have this source of talent coming in from people who have taken a break, but also for somebody who's even never going to take a break to know that it's out there as possible. Maybe that relieves the stress of the moment to make them hang in there and do part-time instead. So it benefits everybody, the companies, the people, and everyone in the landscape. Mm -hmm. And for you, Kristen, thank you for taking the time to speak with us today. You mentioned it right there. This is going to illuminate an option for people that they may have been unaware of. They may have been you know, scared to even think up. So I think this is going to be really, really inspirational for a lot of people in the industry and beyond. Yeah, I agree. And I'm going to take a learn to learn with me for the rest of my life. That's brilliant. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you, Kristen. Thanks so much, Sam. I'm Sam East. For all of us at SWE, thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Diverse. Please don't forget to subscribe and share this episode with your social network. You can keep up to date with our podcast on Instagram at SWE Diverse Podcast and on our blog, altogether at altogether.swe.org. <laughs>